You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. In our current uh, Created for Connection series, we're looking at this symbiotic relationship that we have with our faith in Jesus and how it is connected to the relationships we have with one another. And, uh, and where, how do those things play together, overlap, influence one another? Uh, Christianity has always been a communal faith expressed in relationship with others. And um, it's actually only in the last hundred or so years that uh, primarily through Western developed culture, we have begun to identify being a Christ follower as a solo or independent kind of faith or belief system. And um, we're kind of changing some of that. There's a high emphasis on that personal autonomy and personal belief in Jesus and those things. But really, that's a new concept for us. And, and the historical precedent and the biblical precedent would be that Christianity is always known and expressed and lived out in community with other people. And so it's an important thing. In uh, Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul writes this in verses uh, 12, 15. Uh, Paul says, Since God chose you, To be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I just want to pause there. In in the the, the rabbinic traditions and in, in more of the Jewish background and understanding, people identified elements of faith and were identified by Um, um, the the, the garb and the clothing and the things that they would put on. They were identified as followers of of who we would call God the Father, the God of Abraham. And um, they were identified outwardly in these things. And so uh, Paul says, hey, why don't you clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. This is how we are known as God's people. This is how we're identified as believers in him. It says, make uh, allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself, here it is again, with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for uh, as members of one body, you're called to live in peace. So Paul reminds the Colossian church, these, this group of Christians, that they're part of one body and they are called to clothe themselves, to cover themselves, to, to identify in their tenderheartedness, their mercy, their graciousness, their peace, how they extend forgiveness and love and inclusion to one another. And, and so much flows out of their, their understanding of community and how their faith in God uh, interacts with those things. And in some respects, this is a community manifesto for the Colossian church. Now, our community manifesto is everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. You see it on the wall, and it reflects um, part of our, our community manifesto. And I wanted to just kind of walk through some of that as we're looking at this Created for Connection series and help give some context and some of the heart and some of the intent and meaning behind some of those things. Everyone's welcome reflects Jesus' heart for all people. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that um, Jesus wants everyone to be saved. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He does not, Jesus does not require us 
to be a certain way or fit a certain definition before he opens his heart to us. We see Jesus always embracing and welcoming people. And, um, and this is Jesus showing dignity to people in the scriptures. He welcomes everyone and doesn't place restrictions on them to find him. And we hope and strive and endeavor to be a church that removes barriers for people to find Jesus. And everyone's welcome is an open invitation to be a part of community, be a part of our community without requirements. Uh, nobody's perfect reflects this idea and this value that we're all equals. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and, and we're all, we all fall short of the mark. We all miss the mark of what it means to, you know, on our own, uh, be forgiven, be holy, look like Jesus. We're all sinners. All of us are imperfect, every single person, myself included. Uh, if you talk to my wife or my kids, they could give you a long list of the reasons I'm imperfect. Um, they would not have to think about it. It would come quickly to them. And um, we, every, everybody, all, all of us, people up here singing, we're, we're all imperfect. Uh, everyone's equal. Uh, the cross of Jesus and our need for Jesus is the equalizer of all of humanity. It's the level playing field that all of us find ourselves at. We all need Jesus. None of us has it all figured out. No one's perfect is a way of saying, and you'll hear us say this, it's okay to not be okay. And this is part of our value to be a safe place. Everything's possible reflects the redemption that we have in Jesus. Colossians 3.10, the same passage that we're looking at here, says, um, Paul says it like this. He says, put on your new nature. Again, he's talking about putting on and clothing and covering and identifying. Put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I love that. Put, put on your new nature. Put on your new nature in Jesus and as you learn to become like him. As you know him, you'll become like him. When Jesus shows up in our life, he changes everything. He has the ability, and, and if we welcome him and make room for him, he will begin to change us and change us from the inside out. Jesus changes our perspective, our value system, uh, our, our, our worldview. He, he reorientates us differently. He offers healing and restoration. He gives us freedom from the past pain and addiction, and, and he gives us a future full of hope, which we sang about even this morning. All things are possible because Jesus gives us a whole new way of living. And our challenge is this. How do we, how do we welcome all people and at the same time, hold to a somewhat more narrow view of what it means to become like Jesus. And our church is certainly not unique in this. It's a challenge in our culture. And there is something about um, um, everything possible in Jesus, about the forgiveness and redemption and learning to grow and become like him. And it can create a tension in our community and in, in Christian community. The, the Great Commission call in Matthew 28 is not just to go and reach people for Jesus. It's not just to welcome them, but it is to make disciples. 
And at some level, matters of discipleship and personal holiness become an important part of what it means to follow Jesus. And we are, we're in this tension sometimes in our lives as, as people begin to follow Jesus and begin to have faith in Jesus and, 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 and what does that look like and how is that expressed and how is it lived out? But the reality is, is that to be a follower of Jesus, to be a follower of the way, to identify with him means this, that you will have to ask some hard questions about your life and issues of personal holiness and decisions and choices you make and how you live should be changed and altered by Jesus. It's part of being a disciple in Jesus. And perhaps another way of saying everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, everything's possible is, is come as you are but leave different. Maybe that's a good way of summarizing what we hope to be as a community, as a Christian community, is to say, come as you are, but let's leave different. All of us, let's leave different. And we don't leave different because of my agenda as the pastor or of what we do. We leave different because we have an encounter with Jesus, and when we have an encounter with Jesus, we're different. Come as you are, but let's leave different. Let's have that awakening and let's, let's begin to walk and experience what it means to become like Jesus together. But this certainly has the potential of creating points of tension within our community. So how do we fulfill our mission to be a disciple-making community and at the same time make room for people who don't always fit our picture of what that looks like? And so I want to just, as a community, just kind of give a few things to help us think through some of this. And how do we actually live out? Everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. And by the way, that, that's a manifesto for you, for your life, as you live your, your life everywhere. Not just here, not just as our community, but in your life. Well, one of the things is this, is to leave lots of room for process. So often, people belong to community, and they begin their faith long before they start fitting the biblical definitions of discipleship. We open our heart to Jesus. We welcome him. We invite him in. We, we begin this. And, and, and you know, sometimes there's immediate transformation. Sometimes it's in an area or certain areas of our life. And then we walk with Jesus and we realize, oh, this is something I need to, I think I need to work on this or deal with this or bring this before God or surrender that before Jesus. And, and, and sometimes it takes a process and sometimes it takes some time for us to follow Jesus and, and become like him as we grow in phases, as we journey in that together. Now, none of us check off all of the boxes for the definition of what it means to be like Jesus. We all fall short. Nobody is perfect. There is no invisible bar or grid where you're in or you're out. We all are in process. We're all kind of walking, discovering, figuring out. Jesus is continually um, bringing before us things that we surrender and submit and, uh, and welcome him into in our life, and in our heart. And so let's remember that people are in process and give lots of room for them to grow. Let's trust the Holy Spirit 
is at work in their lives. The Holy Spirit is active in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit is active in the life of believers. Some of the most wonderful transformation moments that I have seen happen in people's lives happened not as a result of a church service or putting a hand up at the end or something like that. They happened because as they're walking with Jesus, all of a sudden, Jesus brings something to them. And they make a choice. They make it on their own, not out of coercion, not out of manipulation, not out of pressure. They make it out of a sincere, earnest heart to follow Jesus. And I've seen people make tremendous steps of faith in order to do that. I spoke with one young lady after the service this morning. And she said that she had been in a relationship that she felt had become toxic in her life. And it, it was in, getting to the point where it was really affecting her own heart, her own life, her own spirituality. And, and, and she said she had to make that tough choice. And so she had to distance herself from that relationship. And sometimes there's, 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 there's this, this back and forth and this process and this wrestling and figuring things out. You know, if we're confident that the Holy Spirit is at work in someone's life, the best thing we can do is come around them and lovingly encourage and uh, help them move forward and make allowance for them and make room for them. Being a safe place means there's room for people to be in process. Now, when I was a youth pastor, I, I have done my best to block out those years of, from my memory that I was in youth ministry. And, um, uh, but when I was a youth pastor, I remember... Uh, having this period in our youth ministry in Calgary where Jesus, the Holy Spirit just touched our youth ministry. Kids were coming to faith. It was growing. It was awesome. We had incredible moves of the Holy Spirit and really great deep moments. Kids worshiping and ministering and praying together and lots of crazy games and chaos. And it was everything a good youth ministry should be. And we had, uh, as it grew and we reached more kids, we had the, 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 the grade 11 dudes, you know, kind of like the, the stoner, long hair, snowboarder kind of dudes. And they would hang out and they were coming and they were giving their lives to Jesus and they were, they were growing in faith. And, and they would come on a Friday night and they would hang out. We had a little smoker thing uh, in front of the, of the door, which went up to the youth area. And before I knew it, we had all these kids hanging out, smoking, putting out before they, you know, they, they had to get their last cigarette in before they came in and, and worshiped. And... Um, and then we would have moms dropping off their like grade seven daughters in the minivan, looking at these guys, fearful. I have a daughter in grade seven, so I totally get this, right? Uh, that's not comfortable. And you know what? It created tension. Now, is there an easy answer for that? There isn't. It, it, both are relevant. Both are real. Both are important. The grade seven shy, intimidated girls are important. The grade 11 guys who are smoking and coming to faith in Jesus are important. Now, if you're a smoker here, I'm not trying to like condemn you. It's just an illustration, okay? And um, they, they, uh, we had to make room. They were important too. And so we had to live intention. We had to honor process. We had to say, you know what? If we're gonna be reaching people for Jesus and are gonna come to faith, they're gonna bring that stuff. They're gonna bring their baggage and their issues and their habits and their old life and there's gonna be a process of kind of taking off the old and putting on the new. And we have to be okay with that. 
The other is to say, let our posture inform our policy. Uh, listen to the scripture. Just, just check this out. Clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. This is a call that elevates the posture of relationship over policies and requirements. You see, the picture of the body of Christ is that we're different. We're not all in the same place. We have some different beliefs, some different thoughts, some different convictions. We, there's, there has to be room for that. But there has to be a high level of commitment and a call to be connected to one another and to be gracious and loving to one another. Healthy connection to one another seems to be more important than making sure everyone fits into the same box. Uh, I can tell you that as a, a parent of teens, that first of all, you should never ever be a parent of teens. If you can avoid it, just, just, <laughs> just skip that whole thing, okay? Now, I have, uh, I have three daughters, uh, 17, 15, uh, that's, that's like going awesome. And, um, and then I have my 12-year-old my, my daughter who's like my, my, my awesome little buddy and she's just starting to pick up the attitudes of her, her older sisters and it's, it's breaking my heart. And, um, but, but I can tell you that as a parent of teens that there's a delicate balance between holding to the rules and holding to relationship. And I mess that up so often. Do you know, I can hold my ground on a disagreement and force a win on an issue, but as a result, adversely affect and impact my relationship to my daughter. Or I can make some room for differences and not get everything I want, but preserve the relationship. And sometimes honoring relationship means I have I have to leave a little room for differences with the hope my kids will come around. And um, from what I'm told, uh, kids come around. You honor relationship, you hold on to them, and you go through the tough stuff. You go through it together. And you know, the same can be true for our expectations that we place on people in their faith and in their discipleship walk. If our policy informs our posture, we get legalism. Just think about that. If our policy informs our posture, we get legalism. Legalism forces the letter of the law upon everybody in every circumstance and doesn't, doesn't have any allowance for relationship. Legalism can push people away and cause discouragement and disillusionment. Legalistic churches often develop an unhealthy culture of Control, bondage, judgment, and abuse. And in fact, Jesus came to, to, to go against legalism. He came to bring grace and freedom. And if our posture informs our policy, we get grace. We're able to show mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness with one another when we elevate the posture of our heart and relationship and connection, and that informs our, our policies. Grace gives lots of room for people to grow at their own faith. 
Being a safe place means the posture of our community values connection and encouragement over legalism and requirements. The third is that accountability is a part of safe relationship. Accountability is always best when it's part of safe, trusting connection with someone else. Trying to hold someone accountable when you're not in relationship with them, when you haven't been invited into that and you haven't been welcomed to do that almost always goes bad. The surest way to get punched in the face in our culture today is to stick your nose into someone's business without being asked. The only real way we have the ability to hold someone accountable is when we've been invited to do that in relationship, when we're connected. This is why the biblical examples of accountability are almost always brother to brother or sister to sister. Very rarely are issues of accountability in the scriptures between the organized church, the leadership and the organized church, and people within the church. Most often, it's brother to brother, sister to sister. We are connected to one another. This is one of the benefits. This is one of the values of being in relationship and being connected with one another is we can help one another. And accountability looks like this. Accountability is when you're running a race and somebody trips and stumbles and falls down. You stop. You forget about running your own race for your own prize. And you turn around and you go back and you help them up and you help patch them up, and you maybe slow your pace down a little bit to run with them. And the goal is to get them up and get them running and get them going again. That is the heart. That is the ministry of accountability. Accountability is not judgment. It's not condemnation. It's restorative in nature. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, brother to brother, sister to sister, brothers and sisters. If another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path. Accountability is helping somebody get up and keep going. It's restoration. Mutual accountability, encouragement, and support are all part of a natural connected relationship. Now, is there ever a role for the church to play in accountability? And um, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's ever heard a sermon on church discipline before? Anybody ever like listen to sermons on church discipline? Show of hands. A few of you, okay. So most of you won't know if this sucks or not because you haven't been in no reference point. Um, we, we don't like talking about kicking people out of the church very often and uh, we still want you to feel welcome. Everybody's welcome, okay. Um, but there are some times where there's accountability and things and it's part of scripture and so I have to teach it. I have to be faithful to it. I have to look at it within the theme of, of what we're looking at. There are a couple of instances in Scripture of the organized church that holds people accountable. One is when it's dealing with a divisive person who's hurting the body. We see this primarily in 1 Corinthians 5. There's a few instances there. And Scripture teaches that there are times that a church should remove a person from its fellowship. And uh, I've never had to do that. I hope I never will. It's not something I ever want to see happen. Uh, but it is in Scripture. And the requirements are this. It has to be an egregious sin, a shocking, high-level, like a big sin. Um, it should be, the, the person is proudly unrepentant with no interest in restoration. In fact, in Corinthians, it says the person is, is boasting 
in their defiance, in their evilness, in their rebelliousness, boasting in how sinful they are in this egregious sin. And the other is that um, the, the person would need to be hurting the body in general, the body of Christ, the local church, the whole church, and or um, hurting the testimony of that church. If the person's sin is hurting the health of the body or hurting the testimony of that local church, and if every area of kind of reconciliation and restoration has been exhausted, it's the last stop, it's the last resort, it's after everything else has been exhausted and tried. There's no hope for restoration, there's no hope for forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation, then it says that person should be removed from fellowship. Um, I've never had to do it, and uh, I hope I never do, but it is a scriptural principle. Another is there's a higher expectation for leaders. Titus 1, 5 to 9, 1 Timothy and 1 Peter uh, all talk about this. James 3, 1 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. As a church community with a missional call to make disciples, there is an open invitation for anyone to be a part of community. And I need to say this graciously, but this, it should be communicated it doesn't mean that there's an open invitation for anyone and everyone to be involved in leadership. We have to have a higher level of accountability. There has to be a different level of standards and expectations placed on leaders because it's scriptural, it's in the New Testament church, and we have to model that and honor that within spiritual community in our culture today. And as a church community, these are things we have to do. And you know what? There are dozens of reasons why someone is not qualified or ready or able to serve in a spiritual leadership role. Practical reasons like not having available time to adequately invest, to put into it, maybe not having a practical gift mix for that role. Sometimes people are unable to lead because they're not prepared spiritually or they're not, they're not mature enough or ready to take that role on. Sometimes people are not able to serve as leaders because there are concerns about their character or conduct or there's conflict with other people in the church. Sometimes people are not able to serve if there's a disconnect between the message we're communicating of what it means to become like Jesus, the mission of the church of making disciples. There's a disconnect between that message of what we're doing and the testimony of their life. That is so hard. Very hard conversations to have with people. But in order to follow the scriptures, sometimes we have to have them. And you know what? There are good days to be a pastor and there are bad days. And those are bad days. Um, some of you, I know your jobs suck and I know you work hard and you don't like your life. And I know some of you think, some of you think, man, if I could just be like Pastor Chad and drink coffee all day, that would be awesome. The grass is always greener on the other side, okay? It's not that awesome. There are hard conversations. There are hard moments. Oh, no one wants to be in those. No one wants to, to have to, to do that. But according to Scripture, every one of us as leaders, myself included, are held to a higher level of accountability. And we have to, we have to hold that. And um, I don't like it, but I have to do it. 
And you have to know this, that if these kinds of issues have to come up in the church, if they come, we will do it as graciously as we can, but I will have that conversation because that's my role as the shepherd and it's what I have to do. And I've been tested. It's been hard because we love people. We want people to be gracious and be a part of the community and we, we want people to, to grow and, 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 and be like Jesus and be, be with us and that's so hard. But you have to know, church, that there is a standard and there is accountability and it's part of being like Jesus. And at some level, when it comes to leadership, accountability matters. And if there is an area where the church as an organization has a right or a platform or maybe a responsibility is the better word. The responsibility we have is not to go to everybody's life and take an inventory of what you do and what your sins are and require you and you can't come here and you can't be a part. That's not what the church does at all. Grace, come, grow, process, nobody's perfect. But we have a responsibility and we have to keep leadership accountable and hold a higher, a higher guard there. And we do it. And we'll have to do it. We continue to do it. And so um, appreciate your support and your prayers as we navigate that. It's never easy. And you know, in all of those things, there's lots of grace. I'm going to get the band to come. We're going to get ready to close. I would say this. In all of those things, there is lots of grace. In matters of accountability, we want to seek first to understand and do everything we can to help and support people. And very rarely would we ever require someone to step down from a leadership role, but it has happened. And our hope is it would be a mutually agreed upon decision. Sometimes it's best to have the conversation and have somebody on their own volition say, you know what, I should step back and focus on my marriage. I should get some things right in my life. I've been too scattered. I've been burned out. I haven't been taking care of myself. I need to, I need to get things back. And, and you know, our, our hope, maybe even if it's temporarily, the goal and the point is to see somebody restored. Our hope is to see people restored, to be built up, to be encouraged, not to be judged, not to be condemned, but we still have to hold the lines of accountability. Church, being a disciple of Jesus means holiness matters to all of us. And you know, the more I study the process of discipleship and spiritual maturity, the more I see the role of the community makes the biggest difference. We don't make disciples by organized church setting up rules and requirements. We make disciples by walking together in relationship with one another. This is our challenge, and this is why we need you. And sometimes people say, what can I do? How can I help? How can I get involved? I'll tell you what, every single person can get involved and can help us by building community and being connected with other people. There is so much value, there's so much intrinsic value in that because people need to be connected. If you want to make an incredible difference for the kingdom of God, stop running your race, turn around, and help somebody else up that needs it. And forget about running your prize and just help them get going again.
we have to find a way to live in the tension as Christian believers in our culture today between having a high goal and a high mark and a high respect for holiness and what it means to serve Jesus and look like Jesus, because that's our call. But we have to be willing and able to make room and process for people who don't quite fit in, don't maybe check all the boxes, don't quite look like us, believe like us, sound like us, talk like us, or maybe are just a little bit different from you or different from me. You know what? We're better together. Community, the call of community is not sameness. The call of community is connection. It's a high calling. It's a high honor. It's the way the body of Christ is designed to be. And um, I know that you don't listen to sermons very often, especially here, about holiness and getting kicked out of the church or whatever all that stuff was about, but it's in Scripture. It's accountability. It's important. And um, we'll do our best to try to walk it out, but we need you to be a part of it. You're really the ones that help us do that. And so uh, I want to pray for you. Pray for our church and then uh, we're going to just be dismissed. I thank you for listening and being a part of this this morning as we're working through this series. Kind of a heavy topic this morning, but I always seem to get them. I don't know how that works, and I make up the schedule, so I need to, I need to, I need to change that or something. So, um, Would you stand? Why don't we stand together? And um, Jesus, I realize that this is sometimes a difficult thing. And... I wonder, Jesus, if we're going to make a mistake, if it's okay to make a mistake in grace. Help us to posture connection and relationship over sameness and requirements and having everybody be pressured to meet a bar. We know that you love us. You love us when we were far from you. You loved us when each, every person in this room, every person in this room has been far from you. And you loved us and you gave your life for us. And you call us to be the same. And in our Canadian culture today and the political climate and so many of the things that are happening, it is hard to follow you and to hold the standard of discipleship and make room for people. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. And may we always find the answers for that tension, not in a written policy in our church, but in relationship and connection from the people who make us up. Expand our heart and our patience and our love and our forgiveness for others. And forgive us, Jesus, if people have been hurt here as we try to walk that out. Help us to always model grace as best we can. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Audio from the House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.